Well, as Matt said, um, Jim Partridge is my name, and I am an elder here at City, and so glad to be able to say that, and what a privilege it is, and a real privilege to bring God's word to you this morning. Um, Before I read this text, I want to welcome our youngest worshipers among us. I am not dismissing children to Children's Church this morning because they are here with us in the service. They are learning how to worship, and so you kids, you know all the stuff that we've done. We've called one another to worship, and we have praised the Lord, and we've given our tithes and offerings. Now, with quiet mouths and eyes up here on Mr. P, as I'm known to them, listening ears, quiet feet, we're now going to hear the Word of God. I'm going to read the Word of God, and then you're going to hear me talk about it. So I hope you'll pay close attention. I'm going to read this text, Psalm 34. We've been preaching through the Psalms in the evening service. Some of you have uh, had that privilege, and Matt and I thought it would be a really appropriate text to bring to the morning worship. So let me read Psalm 34, and then at the end, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and you will say thanks be to God. This is the word of God. Psalm 34 of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. 
So what is it exactly that you are afraid of? What is it that you most fear? Well, let me start with our young worshipers. What is it that you're afraid of? Luke Winkler, I know something that he's a little afraid of. He was at my house last Sunday for a party and wanted to play in our little playhouse. And he was all ready to go in when he said, there's a spider there. I hadn't cleaned out the playhouse. Luke Winkler's a little afraid of spiders. And Luke, you are not alone. You are not alone. How about you older kids? What might, fears might you have? Perhaps fitting in at a new school this year. Perhaps being accepted by your friends. Maybe thinking, can I survive in this world? That sounds like a crazy thing, doesn't it? But I can remember, I have this vague memory in seventh grade of thinking, will I ever make it through high school? Those guys are so much more intelligent and competent. I I was fearing whether or not I'd make it through high school. Those adults among us have our own fears, do we not? We have fears about our work. Will we be able to get work? Will we be able to keep work? Will we succeed in our work? About our marriages and relationships. They're hard. Fear of betrayal, fear of any number of things. Fears regarding our health. So many fears. Friends, fears and phobias are part of life. And in doing sermon research a la Matt Kerber, I went to the internet. And I did not find Wikipedia. But I did Google in fears and phobias and up popped, it's in the front part of your bulletin, fearof.net. The ultimate list of fears and phobias. It's actually a pretty helpful website in some ways. There's lots of words that I learned there. I kind of like words and there's some real big words there. And uh, there's a definition of fear that I think is pretty good. If you look in the front of the bulletin, fear is an emotion generally induced when the subject perceives a threat. Yeah, it's pretty good. How about phobia? Phobia, for you language folks, is a Greek word for fear. And they suggest that a phobia is an excessive or unreasonable fear of an object, place, or situation. Well, then there's this list, the hundred worst phobias known to man, right? Well, guess what number one is? Luke, fear of spiders, arachnophobia. And the website says that, I don't know why, ladies, but you are four times more prone to this fear than men. You might wonder about number two. Number two is ophidiophobia. That's the fear of snakes. That's number two. Number three, you've heard acrophobia, the fear of heights. Number four is agoraphobia, the fear of going out into crowded spaces. The list goes on. You may have fear of what I'm doing here right now. That's called glossophobia, fear of public speaking. I heard that was number one, but according to them, it's number 13. There's a couple of my favorites that describe my life. A tickophobia, that's the fear of failure. That's number 15. I'll talk about that a little bit later. And there's metathesiophobia, 
That's the fear of change. You all, I'm sure, have that fear, right? If you take the first word and you put it with phobia, you're kind of getting the picture here, right? So there's thanatophobia, thanatos, which is the Greek word for death, the fear of death, which some of you might suggest biblically, that's maybe should be in the top five, right? According to this website, it's number 12. If you actually look in our additional scriptures, I'm going to be pointing you there several times. I have a reference there in Hebrews 2, and the last verse of that passage says, Christ came to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Phobo thanatu in our Greek text. There it is. So this website actually had some biblical basis tangentially maybe, right? Okay. And then finally, my, my favorite one was number 100. Who's heard of taphophobia? Taphophobia is the fear of being buried alive by mistake and waking up in a coffin underground. And if you have that phobia, come talk to one of the elders afterwards and we'll pray with you. In my work as a physical therapist, I come across number 22 pretty commonly. It's called aquaphobia. I do aquatic therapy and there's many, many people who fear water. And they think because they can't swim that they can't do physical therapy in the water. That's not true. Let me pop that bubble. You can. Friends, fears and phobias are part of everyday life and especially everyday life in a fallen world. And I'd suggest to you these two big problems. We fear the things that we should not. And we deal with our fears. We fail to deal with them as we should. That's one problem. Secondly, we fail to fear the one we should. And we deal with our fears. We fail to deal with them as he has shown us in his word. There's all kinds of improper fears. We might call it improper. As opposed to the proper fear of the Lord. Dave Snoke got to preach on this last month. He spent one week speaking about the fear of the Lord. And the next week speaking about the fear of man. Improper fears, let me just tell you a personal example of that. Um, Some of your children, you might say, have night terrors. I call my terrors morning terrors because I will sometimes wake up early in the morning with the weight of the world upon my shoulders thinking about work or some list of things that need to be done in my life and I will literally stress out about that. Um, Sometimes... It gets me up, and uh, yet when I get up and I face my day and I figure things out and pray, I realize, what was I fearing? It's going to work out. It's going to work out. It's an improper fear, and the way that I often deal with my fears is also improper. The question I want you to be asking through this time together this morning is how? How can we be delivered from our fears. This text, this text that we will look at now is a song about deliverance from fear. It's a text for the people of God both individually and corporately. You'll see those emphases in the text. Let let me remind you of one, I think, really helpful thing whenever you 
uh, sing or read or study a psalm, you can think of the psalms as a four-part harmony. There's four, ver- uh, four voices in each psalm. The first is the voice of the one who wrote the psalm. This is a Davidic psalm. We don't know that it was written literally by David. It was written about David, at least. There's that voice. And then there's the voice of the people of God singing this throughout the ages. These songs, friends, are the hymn book of the church. They've been sung for millennia. And I commend them to you. There's that voice. Well, then there's the voice about which all of the psalms point, the voice of the ultimate singer of the psalm, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to think about Jesus as he reads this psalm. It's appropriate to think that way. I'm not making a stretch here. And then finally, of course, what we all like to think about is how does this apply to me? And we will talk about that, and we should be looking at the psalms to answer the question, how can I be delivered from my fears? The big idea that I want you to get from this text today, friends, is this. It's the fear of the Lord alone that offers ultimate deliverance from all our fears. That's the big idea. Well, let's look at the psalm. I just want to point out a couple things about the context and the structure. As I said, if you look at the very title of the psalm, it's a Davidic psalm, a psalm of David. The background here is, can be found, if you look in your additional scriptures, in 1 Samuel 21. David was fleeing Saul. David had been anointed king, and yet, and the Lord had said he was going to remove Saul. Saul was very jealous of David. He's pursuing David in the Judean wilderness. David is on the run. Don't know why he did this, but he goes to the king of Gath, whose name is Achish in um, uh, 1 Samuel 21. Achish is the same as Abimelech. Abimelech is kind of like a name for kings. It actually means my father is king. And uh, think of the pharaohs. The pharaohs had names, but they were also called pharaoh. That's kind of the deal here. That's why you don't see Achish in the title. David is on the run. He goes to Achish, and then he realizes, whoa, why am I here? Because they heard that he was this guy who was going to kill 10,000. Saul kills his thousands. David kills his 10,000s. And David realizes, whoa, I may actually, this guy might not be in my corner. He could send me to Saul. I'm in trouble. How am I going to get out of this? So what does he do? He acts insane. He froths at the mouth. He changes his behavior. Achish says, I don't need any more madmen around here. Get this guy out of here. And David is sprung from his trouble. That's the background to Psalm 34, we believe. Let me tell you a little bit about the structure. It's a beautiful psalm, and it's laid out in Hebrew poetry as an acrostic psalm. That means each verse, there's 22 verses, each verse begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. What that does, there's several other acrostic psalms in the, in the scripture. I preached on one last month, uh, 145 is an acrostic psalm, Psalm 25. Um, and of course, Psalm 119, you kids know Psalm 119 is the biggest psalm. And that's actually laid out in an acrostic structure as well. Why? It aids to memorization. The people of God did not have written scriptures like we do. They memorized the word and the acrostics 
help them memorize the Word of God. And I believe here also the writer of this psalm is doing an instructional thing in this psalm. He is teaching us the people of God is exhorting them corporately to give thanks. He's giving them wisdom in the face of their fears and trials. So I'd like to give you from the psalm as we look at it five ways that the fear of the Lord delivers us from our fears. And here's an alliteration for you. I didn't, you know, yeah, I made this up. Uh, I don't think it's too much of a stretch. I did this to help you in your memorization, okay? There's five ways. There's praise in verses 1 through 3. There's the presence of the Lord in verses 4 through 6, in verse 18. There's the power of the Lord in verse 7. There's practical experience in verses 8 and 9. And finally, there's the promises that God gives us in verses 10 and 22. Let me just touch on these briefly, if I may. Notice that the writer begins where? With praise. Praise, friends. Tim Keller says this in his book on prayer. Praise is the alpha prayer. It's meant to be the first thing out of our mouths. It isn't all the time, and I'm not saying it has to be, but the psalmist so many times begin with praise because why? It gives them perspective. It gets them out of themselves and on the Lord. Praise is the alpha prayer. And the psalmist is saying here, I will bless the Lord at all times. In other words, no matter what happens, I'm going to praise the Lord. He says in verse 3, magnify the Lord with me. Is that so the Lord will be magnified by our praise? We're going to make God greater than he is? No, no. It's acknowledging this is the one that we worship. This is the one who we want to tell the world how great he is. Praise is a way that the fear of the Lord delivers us from our fears. Verse 4, I'll be coming back to it. David goes to the presence of God. I sought the Lord and he delivered me answered me and delivered me from all my fears. The presence of the Lord is the ultimate answer to our fears. The place where this website that I mentioned fell short was it gave great descriptions of fears and definitions and all that. A little bit weak on how to handle your fears. They had a list of self-help techniques to cure your fear. Now some of these were pretty good. Keep a journal. Journaling's a good idea create what they call a fear ladder. That means you kind of list your fears and you kind of rank them and another way to maybe get a handle on them. It actually said, read religious books. And it said that even unbelievers, reading religious books might give them a little bit of help. So take that for what it's worth. Of course, there's hypnotherapy. You can be hypnotized or you can get psychotherapy for your fears as well. My suggestion, friends, is... I'm not going to say those things are never appropriate at all. But the psalmist gives us a ready, ready and helpful way to deal with our fears. Seek the Lord and his presence. We'll be talking about that a little bit more. Notice in verse 18, this personal God that we worship, where is he located? He's located near to the brokenhearted. The Hebrew here actually means those whose hearts are shattered. 
There's the power of the Lord. Look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. The malach of God is there. That's the angel of the Lord, the messenger. We also have practical experience. And here the psalmist encourages us in verse 8 to do what? Try it. Taste. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Taste here is a metaphor for our experience. You can't really know something until you try it, right? And that's what the psalmist is encouraging us to do. Not just theological good advice. Dive in. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The Apostle Peter uses this text. If you look in the additional scriptures, 1 Peter 2 talks about if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And then 1 Peter 3 actually offers the blessing of the Lord upon those who reverence God in their behavior, in their practice, in their practical experience. And finally, there's the promises of God. Friends, if nothing else, lay hold of this. God has given us, as Peter says, great and precious promises throughout the word of God. The purpose of those promises is to encourage you to believe that God is greater than all your fears. Look at verse 10, the latter part. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? And then the very last verse of the psalm. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. What does this mean for us? What does this word mean for us? What does it mean for you? How can we make this song of deliverance, Psalm 34, our own? I'd like to suggest that we do it with an application of verse 4. And again, I want you to think again of this four-part harmony idea of the psalm. How did David apply verse 4? I sought the Lord. He answered me and delivered me from my fears. David had the fears of Saul, the fears of Achish, the fears of failing as the king. He had the fears of the enemies of God. That drove him to do what he's teaching in the psalm. I'm going to apply this psalm to myself. And maybe this will help you meditate on the psalm for yourself and and apply verse 4. There's three things in this application that I'd suggest. The first is this. You need to know... Name and know your fears. What are your fears? Sometimes I have a hard time identifying what it is that's really making me concerned or anxious. We need to name and know our fears. Number two, as the psalm says, verse four, seek the Lord. Not a self-help technique. Seek the Lord. And then finally, we all need to realize, those of you that are committed to Jesus need to realize your union to the ultimate singer of this psalm. It means so much. We'll talk about it in a minute. So let me just apply this psalm to myself out loud. 
I sat down this week and I wrote down, what am I afraid of? What is Jim Partridge afraid of? Well, here's some things that I wrote down. I'm afraid that my covenant son will not turn to Jesus. I'm afraid that my life will be seen as insignificant and that my legacy will not be he was a godly man, but he was a busy man. That I would be told by Jesus at the last day, I never knew you. I know that's not true, but I just have to tell you that goes through my mind at times. That I would suffer an accident or disease that would leave me helpless and unable to be active and fit because I love to be active and fit and I fear what would happen if I couldn't be. I fear that I would not be liked or seen as likable, Mr. Nice Guy. I fear that I would have nothing of substance to say when I preach. Matt, you know what that's like? I fear, this is an old fear that I had to identify, I fear that I would not live up to the expectations of my father. My father, I love him, I loved him, he is long dead, but he could be a hard man, and he had lots of expectations that I had to lift up, uh, live up to academically in other ways. I fear at times that I might one day lose my mind, and what would that be like? I fear that I might be called to ministry outside of Pittsburgh. And what would that mean? I'd be further away from a lot of these grandkids and kids. There'd be financial implications. I might give up my job as a physical therapist. There's some fear there. Or that if God called me to do that, that I'd fail in that ministry. That I'd fail to provide for my family. And that I would fail and loving my life partner and best friend well. Those are just some of the things that I dealt with as I tried to apply this psalm. And yet I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. This happens in prayer for me, and I'd encourage you this way, because the Lord has met me at these points of major angst in prayer he's met me and delivered me from my fears and let me tell you why is because and I'm not giving a personal boast here this is all of grace it's because of my union with Jesus friends I am united by faith and if you confess this Jesus you are united by faith with the one who lived this psalm who sang this psalm would you think for a minute of what it was like for Jesus Christ to sing verse 4? I sought the Lord and he delivered me out of all my fears. What were the fears of the Lord Jesus Christ in his humanity? He had many of them, I'm sure. The chief one in the Garden of Gethsemane, friends, was number 23 on the list. Autophobia. Autophobia. You know what that is? That's the fear of abandonment. Jesus, when he cried to his father, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. He was fearing not the physical pain of the cross, as great as that was. 
He was fearing the fact that for your sin and for mine, on that cross, he would be abandoned by his father. He would be left up there alone. Isaiah says it was the Lord's pleasure to crush him and bring him to grief. That's the price he paid out of love for his people. That's the singer of this psalm. That's the one who delivers us from all of our fears. Friends, let me encourage you. You can take your fears to the Lord, the psalm tells us. And you take them to the one who sang this, the Lord Jesus, the one who suffered for his people. As you do that, you will be delivered from all your fears. It's the Lord's truth. Would you pray with me?